Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Invisible World with your host, Frank Todaro. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to episode 175 of The Invisible World on a dark and stormy March 25th, 2015. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. There's a bit of a gap here in episodes. Coming in about a week late on this one due to several projects that I've been working on. One of which I'm going to talk about right here at the top of the show is the National Math Festival. I get excited about that. On April 18th, I'm going to be down in uh, Washington, D.C., working with a group called Guerrilla Science. Not like the ape, but the subversive war tactic. Uh, working with Guerrilla Science on a sort of science Olympics. This thing is really, really cool. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be yelling at the contestants. The actual event, the, the math festival, is going to be amazing. It's going to be all up and down the mall but we're going to be located in the courtyard behind the Smithsonian Castle. There's going to be all kinds of competitions. Uh, there's, we've got one with vortex cannons, these giant vortex cannons that are shooting. You know what? you got to come and see it. They're giant. It defies logic. Well, it's exactly logical, but it's not something that you do every day. We've got Faraday Wave stuff. We're going to be playing with Oobleck. You've seen YouTube videos about that stuff. Go Google it. And more. So if you're in the area, come on out. I'll give you a high five. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, next Tuesday, uh, March 31st, I'm going to be teching and laying down soundtrack and sound effects for the live, improvised 1940s sci-fi radio serial. It's actually a really cool idea. We just had a show last night. This is the last one of the run. Uh, a bunch of impro- improvisers from a group called X Plus One are going to be pretending to be the radio actors and making up a radio play as though they're reading the scripts and I have to sound to lay down the, all the audio for the whole thing. It's pretty cool. Next, uh, next Tuesday, March 31st, 7 o'clock, uh, People's Improv Theater, the Striker Stage. If you went to the spirit photography lecture that, uh, that I gave uh, a couple weeks back, it's the same place, so check it out. And a couple other things in the works, but for now... It is time for the Paranormal News. Taking a sip of my tea there. I think I'm coming down with something. All right, so first we're going to start right out of the gate here with an update of sorts on a story that we've been talking about for years now. The possibility of cloning a woolly mammoth. Now, right out of the gate, there's not that much more information uh, that we haven't talked about. Well, there's a bit more. The main takeaway here is that this was posted to NBC, of all places. It's a it's a widespread story now. Mainstream media has kind of validated it, so it's for realsies. Led by Korean cloning scientist Wang Woo Suk, the man behind the world's first cloned dog, mind you, 
The team of Russian and South Korean researchers have begun in its attempt to produce a live mammoth by first, this is the actual story, extracting the DNA from that specimen they found in Siberia. This is what we were talking about before. We've got a quote here on this article from, uh, from Semyon Grigoriev. Grigoriev? Sorry, Mr. Grigoriev. Uh, he's director of the Mammoth Museum in uh, Yakutsk. Uh, we take samples of bone marrow. It is the best uh, material, best of materials for DNA analysis. If the samples are good, then our coordinated work, I think, will allow in a year or two, that's not that long, to decipher the world's first nuclear genome of the mammoth. If the team is able to accomplish this, and that would be pretty amazing, then the reconstructed DNA would then be transplanted into a live elephant embryo, in order for the mammoth to clone to be born. If they succeed, it will undoubtedly be one of the most important scientific accomplishments in history, as the article says. Every time we talk about this, I'm pretty sure I quote Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, so I'm going to let that go. What do you guys think? Do you think this is a good idea, bringing this weird kind of melding Frankenstein uh, mammoth elephant thing back into the modern world. Shoot me a message at theinvisibleworldshow at gmail.com, through the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theinvisibleworldshow, or tweet me. People don't tweet enough. At T-I-W-Show. T-I-W-S-H-O-W. Now another update of sorts here from a story from about two years ago. Boeing has finally been granted a patent for this new way to shield against explosive shockwaves basically a force field. It's designed to protect a target from damaging the damaging effects of a shockwave, not the Decepticon, just the actual shockwaves, from a nearby explosion. That was weird. The sophisticated new system, which is capable of automatically sensing when it needs to activate, works by producing a plasma field in front of the target using a combination of lasers, electricity, and microwaves. Now, by producing a localized region that differs from the surrounding environment, the force field acts as a buffer that effectively stops the shockwave from reaching the, or damaging the target. It isn't clear when, if at all, the system will ever see actual use in the battlefield, but it exists. If it does, its most likely role will be protect, protect Humvees, you know, these delicate, more delicate of the, uh, of the things that are riding with people inside them and other lightly armored vehicles during combat. And of course, whenever you read this story online, there's images from the prequel saying, hey, it's just like Star Wars. Well, the Enterprise had force fields too. But both are cool. But use the Falcon or something. Come on, guys. Alright, moving on. Enough geek stuff. No, never enough geek stuff. From Express, CERN's Atom Smasher is about to resume operations in an attempt to detect miniature black holes. Having been significantly upgraded since its discovery of the elusive Higgs boson back in 2012, big story, the world's largest particle accelerator is about to embark on a new series of experiments designed to detect tiny black holes. If it succeeds, it could open up a whole new chapter in particle physics which could help it to explain the nature of dark matter and prove the existence, you guessed it, of parallel universes said scientist uh, Mir Faisal, just as many parallel sheets of paper, which are two-dimensional objects, can exist in a third dimension, parallel universes can also exist in higher dimensions. Normally when people think of the multiverse, 
Not from Magic the Gathering, I don't think. Well, maybe he plays that. Uh, they think of many world interpretations of quantum mechanics where every possibili- possibility is actualized. Of course, we talked about that in the show. Probably why I'm stumbling over this. That is not what we mean by parallel universes. What we mean is real universes in extra dimensions. So there's not another universe, uh, he's saying here, where there's a T-Rex wearing a bowler hat that just happens to still exist, and one where we're all just giant bipedal cows. It's, uh, it's something a little different. But pretty cool. Throw up the rest of the story on the Facebook page. Now, springboarding off of that story, up into the heavens, SETI is back in the news. The search for extraterrestrial life could be helped along by seeking out cosmic science experiments. So we're not the only ones messing around down here. Well, down here, maybe. Up there, according to the, uh, the site Physics World, there might be something different going on. For years, SETI Institute has focused its efforts on picking up radio signals from an alien civilization. But what if there was something else we could detect a lot further away? Dr. Brian Lackey, an astrophysicist at Fis- uh, Princeton University, has put forth the idea that a sufficiently advanced alien race may be conducting large-scale science experiments whenever it was they were doing them, for that stuff to get back here, in deep space by using black holes to build immensely powerful particle accelerators. That sounds familiar, right? Dr. Lackey maintains that if such a thing exists anywhere in the universe, it should be possible for us to detect some of the ultra-high energy particles that it would be producing. The premise assumes that this alien race would be just as interested in learning more about the universe as we are, and would engage in some far more challenging experiments than we're doing, like we just spoke about. Now, one downside to the idea is that any detectable bursts would only be temporary. And they've got a quote here from uh, Paul Davies of uh, Arizona State University, I guess part of the project. My main project, uh, my main problem is one of the ex- once the experiments are done, there'd be no need to keep the thing running. So unless there are mega machines like this popping up all over the place, there would only be transient pulses transit or not, if we luck out to actually catch one of them. Pretty cool idea. Kind of makes sense. What do you guys think? Sliding over to the University of Cambridge here. What can only be described as a carpet of tools used by ancient man was recently discovered. This is pretty amazing. There's about 75 prehistoric tools per square meter in this find. Uh, Finding a discarded tool that was once used Uh, by one of our ancient ancestors, is usually very rare and exciting. But in an extensive outcrop of sandstorm, sandstone, (laughs) sandstorm, uh, lots of transformers today, in the Sahara Desert, there are so many that the area has been dubbed the Carpet of Tools. Pretty neat. They thought to have built up over several hundred thousands of years. These tools are so plentiful that there are millions of them within a single square kilometer. The region is thought to be the earliest known landscape to have been modified by hominem activity. So Dr. Robert Foley, the Messick sandstone, now in the middle of a vast sand seas of Libya, would have been a high-quality rock for hominids to fracture. The landscape is, in effect, a carpet of stone tools, most probably made in the middle to upper Pleistocene. It's believed that the earliest stone tools in the region date back over two million years. Now, keeping with stories that fans of Indiana Jones would probably find interesting, this is pretty cool. It was actually posted to Yahoo News recently. 
So they just discovered the ruins of a secret Nazi stronghold down in Argentina. It was built near the end of World War II. It was supposed to be intended as a uh, refuge for escaping Nazis. It was located in Teyucuare Provincial Park in northern Argentina. The secret lair was part of an effort to provide a safe haven for high-ranking Nazi officials in the event of Germany's defeat. This is pre-end of World War II. Now, despite being well-concealed in the jungle, it was actually comprised of two, uh, three stone buildings, they say. It was never actually used because, as you probably know, Nazis who did flee to Argentina at the end of World War II were able to live in the country with impunity and could even use their real names. We saw Magneto attack a couple of them in the reboot of, uh, of X-Men. Yeah. Within the ruins, researchers discovered a, a number of artifacts, including a fragment of a porcelain plate with the words Made in Germany inscribed, and several coins with the Nazi symbol on them. Quote here from Daniel Schwelzen of the uh, University of Buenos Aires. Analyzing the material could take many months. It is even possible that there are other buildings that we still haven't found. It's a complicated area to work with lots of vegetation. Impenetrable. So, there you have it. Now, sliding away from that end of things and going into pop culture news here, here's a reason, because quite frankly, uh, this news has me just about as excited as Zeta Reticulans landing on the White House front lawn. The X-Files is coming back. Straight from the Fox's mouth this past week, they did announce, finally, that Fox has ordered a six-episode miniseries event, as they're calling it, and yes, Chris Carter's at it again. He's at the helm. Also returning is Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny as Mulder and Scully as well. Production on the X-Files event series is set to begin in summer of 2015, just a couple months away. Further details remain under wraps and will be announced at a later date. Now, a quote that I like in particular here from this particular bit of news is from Chris Carter himself, saying, I think of it as a 13-year commercial break. The good news is the world has only gotten that much stranger, a perfect time to tell these six stories. And I'll add this, Mr. Carter. Your series is in large part responsible for this strange new world that we live in, since that show debuted in 1993. So, thank you. I can't wait to see what we've got in store. Now, speaking of X-Files, let's get into the more high-concept news items that we have here. We've got another story of possible reincarnation from the mouths of babes. And we just had one of these recently. Usually such stories have made claims about a kid in question being some military figure that you can validate in that regard through records from World War II, etc. But this time, there's a bit of a twist. This young boy claims to have been a movie extra from the 1930s. The story was posted recently in today.com, and of course many of the other sites. Ryan's recollections began when he was about five years old, and centered around his memories of being an actor who lived and worked on various movies in Hollywood. He told his parents how he had danced on Broadway during his career and had even met legends such as Rita Hayworth. He would often talk about going home to Hollywood and described how he'd lived on a street with the word rock in his name. Now, a quote here from his mother, Cindy, who spent a lot of time researching her son's recollections at the local library in an effort to uh, try to make sense of it all, says his stories were so detailed 
and extensive that it wasn't like a child could have made these up. When she came across a book showing a still photograph from 1932 movie Night After Night, Ryan incredibly pointed to one of the extras in that shot and declared that that was him. The case was later investigated by psychiatry professor Dr. Jim Tucker, who, having documented dozens of similar cases, spent time researching each of Ryan's claims. What he discovered was that the man in the picture, Marty Martin, had actually done all of the things that Ryan claimed to be recalling from his previous life. Several of the details provided uh, by the five-year-old, which were particularly difficult to corroborate, uh, couldn't be researched online, also turned out to be completely accurate once they started poking around. Martin, who died back in 1964, even lived at 825 North Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills. I'll point out here that it's uh, spelled R-O-X-B-U-R-Y, but to a five-year-old, Rock is in the title. Same match to his description. If you look at the picture, there's a quote here from... Uh, uh, Dr. Tucker now, if you look at the picture of the guy with no lines in the movie and then tell me about his life, I don't think many of us could have come up with Marty Martin's life. Yet Ryan produced, uh, provided many details that really did fit his life. Now I'm going to stop here. There's more uh, on the article. Uh, I'll throw it up. If you guys are interested, shoot me an email too uh, and tell me what you think. It's always interesting. They say that in some ways when a person is so young, still connected to whatever came before, if you believe in such an existence, uh, not being tied down by a linear time, which, why would it be, I guess? Who knows? Maybe there is some sort of remnant in our early lives, a type of perception of the other side. But we can really kind of go to town with that. But for now, moving on. Sticking with the news of the weird here. Australian Jared Smith got the shock of his life when he ventured into his kitchen to make some lunch. An unsuspecting 22-year-old discovered that an enormous snake was inside his cornflakes box. Despite the small size of the box, the snake had somehow managed to curl up inside and was almost completely out of view. Smith got such a shock that when he saw the reptile, he dropped his meal on the floor and ran in terror for the kitchen door. Obviously, yeah, there's a python in your box. Having alerted his father, who happened to be home at the time, he promptly called up the local wildlife rescue service and asked him to come and remove the snake from the house. No paranormal or anything here, just a giant snake inside of a cereal box. The python was over two meters long, and according to animal expert Chris McGreal, said he couldn't believe it was jammed into such a small cereal box. When I got there, I actually had to tear the box to get it out. That's how tightly squeezed in it was. Fortunately, diamond pythons, which this snake was, are non-venomous. They still can leave a nasty bite. How do you not feel the weight difference between a two-meter-long python and a box of cornflakes? Kind of shattered out there for a minute. How shocking this is. Box of cornflakes. Now, this next story, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what it's about until the end. An 18-month-old child was saved after rescuers discovered she was trapped inside of a submerged car. 25-year-old Jennifer Grosbeck had been driving back home in Springsville, uh, Springville in Utah, when her car hit a cement barrier and veered into the river, where it ended up submerged in the freezing water. 
The accident went completely unnoticed for over 14 hours until a fisherman came across the, came across the car in a river, contacted the emergency services, and the police arrived. Four officers arrived on the scene and took the decision to enter the rapids in a daring rescue attempt after an arm was spotted in one of the windows. What happened next, however, would stay with the men for the rest of their lives. We could see a person in the front seat, and then we heard a voice saying, Help me, we're in here. This is according to Officer Tyler Beddoes. Uh, we, we replied, Hang in there, we're trying what we can. When they managed to reach the car, however, they discovered that Grosbeck had not survived the crash, but that her 18-month-old daughter was still alive and trapped inside the vehicle. Along with the help of three firefighters, the four cops eventually managed to pull the youngster out of the car and to, off to safety. Who was it that called them out, however, still remains a complete mystery. Now, uh, the officer is also quoted here as saying, I don't know what I thought I heard. I'm not typically a religious guy. It's hard to explain. It was definitely something. Where and why it came from, I'm not sure. Pretty cool. Now, sticking with kind of uh, uh, the other side here. Discovery News had an interesting article. Not necessarily a new discovery or anything like that but definitely something to remind yourself of, considering our perception of the way we use technology to look for evidence from the other side and, and thinking it's a more modern trend. Stories about Thomas Edison, who attempted to actually come up with a device that could record voices from beyond the grave. And I like that segue, right? Well, he's well known for developing devices such as the phonograph, the incandescent light bulb, Edison's inventions would go on to make him a household name. Less well-known, however, is the fact that the inventor and businessman also dabbled in the creation of a device that could enable communication with the dead. Allegedly, but there you have it. His research in the area wasn't well publicized, and not at all, until 1949, when a French edition of his original diary was discovered and translated that the full details of experiments were revealed. His efforts to record voices of the dead took place in 1870, the height of the spiritualist craze, when Edison attempted to develop a spirit phone by significantly amplifying the sound from one of his photographs. He was so certain that this would work, he even made a pact with one of the engineers, William Walter uh, Dinwiddle, that the first of them to die would attempt to contact the other from the afterlife. Whether Edison actually picked up any evidence or whenever one of them talked to the other one is still kind of a mystery. But there you have it. Something that kind of popped up recently. Uh, you might know this already, but an interesting little thing to think about. Now, staying on the spooky end of things here, NJ.com just reported that Waverly Hills, down in Kentucky, is set to become a four-star hotel. You know what I'm talking about. Even if you don't recognize the name Waverly Hills at first, it's been on every paranormal reality show that you have ever seen. I think it's second only to the Eastern State Penitentiary down in Pennsylvania for uh, how many times it's appeared on television as a haunted location. Quick backstory here with some bits from the article. Originally opened in 1910 as a small two-story building for housing tuberculosis patients. That's a tongue twister. Waverly Hills was expanded significantly after, an, after the epidemic ravaged the population. 
Between 1924 and 61, more than 6,000 people lost their lives while battling the condition within the sanatorium's walls, and many of them found themselves being unceremoniously dumped down the infamous 485-foot death chute, which was used to help the hospital staff dispose of the bodies of the deceased. Really sad story. You should definitely read up on it. 1962, the building was turned into a nursing home, <laughs> like you do, for the elderly, but ended up being closed after two decades following uh, reports of, of patient neglect. 1983, there were plans to turn the sanatorium into a prison. However, the idea fell through due to complaints from the neighboring properties. Don't blame them. Bad enough they have to live next to a death chute. Then came the TV shows. So not only... Are they now pitching a five-star hotel? But patrons are said to be encouraged to look for ghosts while they're staying there. There's also going to be an adjoining convention center and restaurant and museum. where It's going to actually be marketed here as a haunted hotel where guests will have the opportunity to encounter something otherworldly. So yeah, if you ever wanted a ghost hunt overnight, now you can do so from the comfort of your queen-sized bed next to the minibar doesn't seem kosher for some reason. I kind of wonder if the, uh, the the spirits get a cut. And man, performers never get paid what they deserve, you know? And with that horrible joke, we are now on to this episode's UFO Roundup. First out, a news station in Oklahoma City caught a strange object in the sky during a live morning newscast. I'm going to read the story here. Keep in mind that the actual footage is on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash theinvisibleworldshow. Picked up by a KOCO news camera positioned on the roof of the Grand, uh, Grand Casino in Shawnee, the luminous, fast-moving object could be seen zipping across the screen from left to right. The spectacle appeared to have uh, appeared on a live traffic news broadcast around 6 a.m. on the morning of March 12th, prompting the channel to upload the video of the incident, asking viewers to offer their suggestions as to what the object could have been. Wendell Edwards later reported that the search of a local area yielded no trace of an impact. So I'm going to leave that. There's a couple of other incidents of things being caught on news cameras in the past couple of weeks. I've posted all these to the Facebook page. I'm not going to go through them here so much uh, because it's something you got to look at. you got to look at it. You might as well just read it there. Uh, the Invisible World Show face, uh, on Facebook, you know where to go. Next from the Mirror, another thing that's also pay, uh, posted, but I wanted to talk about this one. This family claimed their barbecue was interrupted by four UFOs zooming across the sky. They were quickly followed by a Ministry of Defense helicopter. They're from uh, Bolton, Lancashire, over, over across the pond here. Andrea Finney. She was enjoying a pleasant outdoor family meal with her husband Nigel and their son when this mysterious event left them spooked. 48-year-old uh, Finney works in property management, told the Mirror Online, where this story was originally posted, there are four of them. There were four lights. Uh, chain of command, great episode. Uh, and they zoomed across the sky. Now, again, the pictures of this thing are almost too good to be true. And when I, I made the joke about the lights, the kind of cool thing is that they're not lit up. They're just these dark silhouettes against the sky. A perfect circle flying through the air. Kind of reminds me of a, an aerobie. If anyone remembers those from the 80s, those circular 
Xena's chakra-looking frisbee-type things. So again, I posted the full article uh, on the show Facebook page. Check it out and let me know what you think. And we are winding down on time here, so I'm going to leave with one more report from MUFON on an event that took place on March 18th over in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Lots of good stuff coming out of Michigan. I was driving from my home in Carytown towards a pharmacy on South Industrial Parkway. While driving down South State Street towards Eisenhower Parkway roughly at 10.25 p.m. Eastern, I noticed in my periphery to the west, looking left, a reddish-orange circle above the roofs of the houses on the left side of the street, just as I was approaching the traffic, uh, the traffic light at Stimson Street. At first, I thought it might be a helicopter, since there's a good bit of that type of traffic to the uh, U of M Hospital. I want to take a break here and say, this is a great report. This is a perfect example of how descriptive you need to be, but there's more. When I made it to the traffic light, it just turned red. So I rolled down my window and tried to find the object and listened to see if I could hear the normal loud medical chopper noise, but could not at that time hear anything related. I turned off onto Stimson towards Industrial, and I reached the light at the Stimson and Industrial intersection. I again spotted the object in the sky, clearly beyond. It was above the old Kroger building. That's, a, I guess, a chain of something that us New Yorkers are not familiar with. I've heard the name before. Uh, and it was now moving south. I turned right onto Industrial Parkway, heading south towards Eisenhower Parkway, and continued to track the orb the whole way again with no sound from the object. Throughout this time, there was no longer a solid color, but more of a plasma-type effect transitioning from red to orange to yellow to white and mixing in between. Its aerial path also seemed to be a bit erratic. At this point, it seemed to descend, ascend, in jagged movements. At this point, I was fumbling to try to get my phone to take a video or pictures, but was unable to do so due to driving in an attempt to stay with the object. Gotta make your choices, right? As we approached the Woodbury Gardens apartments, now if any of you guys listening are familiar with this area, and you have any insight here, because last time we actually had some great feedback on a story that was not too far from here. So yeah, he uh, to go back, he's uh, approaching the Woodbury Gardens apartments. I lost sight of the orb due to a bit of traffic on the road requiring my attention. I decided to turn left onto Astor Avenue, heading west to see if I could relocate it. I drove a short way down Astor until I came to Woodbury Park. As I stopped, I, st- I spotted the orb to the north, just as it entered the bottom of a very large, very dark, triangle-shaped object that I hadn't seen prior to this. See that, guys? There was a payoff, right? The triangle-shaped object's surface was extremely dark, such that I was not able to make any detail out of, on the surface. There were, however, three flashing white lights that followed a repeating sequence in the shape of a triangle. The lights were moving from the north towards the south and seemed to be approximately two to three miles away. I shut my car off at this point and uh, and exited the vehicle to look uh, and again try to snap a photo or video. I also noticed that there were people walking in the neighborhood and I asked if they had seen the lights, which they hadn't until I pointed them out. The large triangle shape moved smoothly, continuously, with the lights continuing to flash in the same sequence 
across the sky from north to south with a brisk clip. Unfortunately, it was brisk enough to have moved beyond the large trees in Woodbury Park and prevent me from getting a photo. I glanced at the clock, and it was now 10.31. I attempted to drive to the south to see if I could find the large triangle-shaped object again, but was unsuccessful. I stopped to jot down a quick drawing of the map of both the object sighting and the objects to give MUFON a call that time. After returning home, I checked playback of flight radar data for the time in question, and no flights were in the vicinity at the time either. So there you have it. A weird morphing kind of color-changing orb that docks with a triangle, and not only that, uh, granted this uh, guy who reported this, whoever reported this, didn't get a photo of it, but when he pointed it out to other people, he says that they saw it. So I'm wondering if they're going to report anything too. I haven't seen anything yet. Uh, It is still pretty soon. But if anybody has any information, considering how detailed this was, and like I said, we did get some great feedback from some of the stories last week, shoot me over an email. Go contact MUFON. Let's see what's going on over there. But we are, in fact, out of time here. If I might wind things down with the final thought. For tonight's final thought, I want to actually mention something that I've got a, a lot of mail about recently, a lot of emails. It seems there's a new documentary on Netflix about UFO disclosure that goes in depth on the, uh, into the, the Apollo 20 landings on the moon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, briefly, uh, I think it was 2007, uh, someone made claims online to be part of a, a secret NASA mission that not only landed on the moon, but explored a structure on the moon and recovered an alien body. Now, this user provided pictures of a, of a female alien who they dubbed Mona Lisa due to her eerie smile. That wasn't too long before the user was outed as a sculptor hailing from Spain, I think, uh, which you could say explains the mummified body. Uh, it's weird. It's all covered in Vaseline or something. Pretty creepy. But even more telling was the photograph of this complex that they produced for, that they took on the moon, which was revealed to be from a painting. Seriously, they, they just kind of flipped it. There's some painting about Nostradamus with a little monster in it. So they took the, the painting of this castle, complete with these alien-looking spires and flying buttresses, flipped it on end, and put it on this, uh, this NASA photograph of the moon. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying for sure that I know which conspiracy theories have weight and which do not. Far from it. But this documentary that folks are preoccupied with Uh, It's from this past year. And this whole shebang went down like years and years ago, prior to this. The point is this. If you're going to choose to believe in something, you absolutely have to know. You know what? Even stronger. It is your responsibility to read several sources telling the same story. If something is too good to be true, try your darndest to debunk it. And when a debunk seems too easy, try as hard as you can to break down the logic they use to do so. Look for holes. Black holes. We don't have all the information. We probably will never have all the information in our lifetime about any of these topics. But there is information out there. So much that you can spend your entire life doing nothing but absorbing it. So break it down. And within reason, read everything you can on a subject you're interested in. And when a documentary tells you some amazing revelation that shatters your worldview, take it with a grain of salt as the entertainment that it's intended to be. 
Let it instead be a springboard for you to read more on the ideas presented. Enjoy, but enjoy responsibly. And with that, we end another episode of The Invisible World. Thanks once again to Trash80. Thank you to the Paranormal A Radio Network for rebroadcasting us and all of the wonderful shows on that network up in the Great White North. For more on Gorilla Science and next month's events, visit gorillascience.org. Not spelled how you would guess. It's G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A science.org. Thanks once again to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Tadaro, reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward. you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.